we're going to pray. We're going to ask the Lord to release revelation tonight. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, we love you. God, we set ourselves before your word, asking the Spirit of the Lord to break in with wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God. Lord, I'm praying for us as a people, your sons and your daughters, your bride. God, I'm asking that you would begin to pour oil and wine. You would heal. You would mend. You would touch and bless. God, that you would release revelation of the way you feel. We know that you love us, God. Now, ask, I'm asking that our hearts would be dramatically impacted with revelation from heaven that would declare unto us the way that God thinks, the way that God feels, the Father and His great delight and desire for weak and broken ones just as we. Now, Lord, I'm asking, would you come take this place under your authority in the name of Jesus? I'm asking, God, let the Spirit of the Lord have preeminence in this house. Thank you for divine attentiveness. Release your presence to us, God. Speak to us tonight. In Jesus' name. Good. Everybody said amen. Okay, we're on a part two of a series on the Father Heart of God. And um, we'll go. We'll just go on this one until we're done with it. You know, you just, sometimes you're just going and you're going and you just, you know when you're done and sometimes you just keep going until you're done. And so that's how I think we're going to have to go on this one. I really... In, in prayer this week and even tonight, um, I'm sensing the the Lord on on this topic, and I feel like He really wants to um, impart some stuff to our hearts. I'm asking God to bring greater clarity to all of us, myself included. I know this week, even as I st- stood before the Scriptures, looking at the Father, that I began to see different thoughts about Him that were fresh and new to me. And um, as I begin to pray this week, I begin to come in touch with. Uh, the pain that we as a people feel. The pain that we as a people feel over this, over this issue. And it's because uh, we are challenged in our image of God as Father. And I talked about this a little bit last week, but mostly this generation. When I mean this generation, I mean if you're from 0 to 110. Anybody in between, if you're 111, you count too. But anybody who's alive on the planet that's breathing air. This generation has so few models of what a father is that uh, rightly portrays the knowledge of the eternal father. We have so few models in this generation. In other words, what I mean is this. So few children have the uh, blessedness of growing up in a family where they have both their real parents in the home and where the father is not just there and not just providing with a paycheck, but the father is radically in love with God and is a uh, right presentation to the whole family of what God the Father looks like. That is so, so rare. You know, we can go down the line and and we could take a poll and, you know, we'd say, how many come from a a family that was... uh, you know, the parents were divorced, and we'd see that number. And then how many come from a fam- family where there was a, a remarriage? And, you know, then we'd see, you know, that number. And we'd see people with blended families. And then we'd say, how many came from families with their p- both parents in the home? And we'd see that number. And then we'd say, how many came from uh, families with both parents in the home, and you were actually going to church? And that number. And the numbers would get smaller and smaller and smaller. And then we'd say, how many came from a home where you could say this, that when you looked at your dad, you had a good picture of the way God was? And the number would be so small. And that's this generation. We are in a hundred year cycle in America of four generations in which the families have continued to deteriorate and the relationship between fathers and children have continued to deteriorate. And we are right now in a hundred year, we're at the end of a hundred year cycle of brokenness and and dissolution in the the American family. It's, It's a... It's really an epidemic that swept our entire country, and we've barely even noticed it. And, um, and so because of that, 
we live with an image of God because we, God set it up that way, that we would get uh, hints into how He is based on the way our father and earthly father figures are. And, and he set it up that uh, when there would be godly fathers and godly father figures, that it would declare the glory of God, declare the knowledge of who he is. And so we're in a hundred-year cycle of a declaration through the lifestyles and the, and the uh, experiences that we've lived uh, where that, that declaration, that testimony is almost absent. It's very, very small in percentage. Those who are raised, and they can look at their natural father, even father figures in their life, and say, Yes, I know what the heart of the Father, uh, the eternal Father is like because my earthly dad was one that's just like him. That number is so, so small. So we're challenged. We live uh, not comprehending rightly the knowledge of God uh, because of that. It's a, it's a challenge for us. It's a, it's a hurdle that we must overcome. Ask God to break in with revelation. Now here's the thing. and As I was um, in, in the worship here tonight, the Lord began to speak to me about a couple points. And... Uh, Isaiah 61.3, just write it down if you're taking notes. But Isaiah 61.3, it says this. Isaiah 61.3, if I can get just a little more on, my, on the mic here. My voice is just a little weak, so sound person, whoever you are. <laughs> the invisible man. There you go, Scotty, thanks. It's always a bad thing when you look back at the sound booth and the, there is nobody. <laughs> Scotty on the spot, way to go. Uh, but Isaiah 61.3 it says this, that he gives us beauty for ashes. Beauty for ashes. They actually sang it tonight. And I've been actually meditating. That's great, Scott. I've been meditating on that this week, thinking about what that means. Beauty for ashes. Well, the first point I want to make is this. You have to have ashes to hand over to get this beauty that he's talking about. You've got to come with ashes and say, here they are, and he gives beauty. And our challenge is this. I think this is where we live a lot. Our challenge is this. We live uh, learning what beauty looks like, what good Christianity looks like, and we show up to God with a smile painted on, and we go, here, here's my beauty. Now give me more beauty. And he goes, that's not quite how it works. You have to give me ashes. And because our ashes many times are so painful, just be real, we don't want to go there. We just don't want to go to the places of pain in our hearts where the ashes are to scoop those up and say, God, if you can do anything with this mess, then please. So what we do is we learn how to live from the outside in. We learn the five, you know, ways to be a good Christian or the list of ten, how to, you know, you know, be righteous. We learn it on the outside, you know, the eight things, how to look like you're living in love. And we paint the outside nice and fresh. And on the inside, we've got ashes. And so when we're in community, we smile, but alone we're in pain. And we don't want to pray, because when we pray, we know we've got to deal with those ashes sometime. And what we'd rather learn is a religious formula that keeps me away from the actuality of having to deal with the truth of what my heart really is. Yet the promise the whole time from the Father is this. If you'll get to the truth of your heart, if you'll dig down in and grab those ashes and hand them to me, I'll give you beauty. I'll give you beauty. Ashes from you equals beauty from heaven. Yet who really wants to go digging around in the burnt up mess of the history of their life and hand that over? Because surely God doesn't care. He doesn't want ashes. Surely God doesn't like dirty, messy junk from us. Let me tell you what the truth is. The truth is this. Surely God already knows. He already knows. He knows every ash and what it looks like. And the mess it is, he's already got the real picture. He's not freaked out in the least. So that's the one point I want to make, that God gives beauty, but we should really say it like this, only when we really will give ashes. 
So often we're afraid to give ashes because we don't want to deal with the pain of giving ashes. We believe that if we say to the Lord, I've got ashes, then we'll be rejected because we know that he loves righteousness. And we think, well, if I show you my ashes, you won't like me. He goes, no, I love you. I know every ash that you've got. I loved you before you were even formed. I created you a billion years ago and smiled on you. I knew the ashes that you would produce, and I've got no problem with it because I'm the one that makes ashes into beauty. So he's like, hand them over, please. And then the second thing is this. There is a radical difference a radical difference between rebellion and being wounded. There's a radical difference between choosing to go away from God and rejecting God and having a broken leg that makes you not walk right. Those are completely two different things. And I think many of us, we beat ourselves up because we've got woundedness within that we don't discern rightly because we don't want to look at our ashes. So we don't really see how wounded we really are. We're numb. And we're wounded and we walk funny. What I mean is we do weird things in life that cause collisions and challenges and problems maybe with people and ourselves. And the reason why, it's not because we're so rebellious and evil at heart. We're probably sincere. We're just broken. And because we're broken, we don't work right. Just don't work right. If the car is broken, if the alignment is out, guess what? It pulls off the road. If you are broken and your legs are beat, guess what? You will sway. And a lot of times we beat ourselves up because of our brokenness. It leads us all over the place. And we think, well, I am so wicked and evil. I must hate God because I watch the path of my life. And it doesn't equal what looks like sincerity and love and abandonment. And what it really is is this. You're fully sincere. you got a full yes inside. You're just broken. You're hurt. So you walk with a limp and you, 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 know, you turn the wrong way because... You can't walk right right now because your stuff is broken. Which that brings me back to my first point. To get that limp taken care of, you've got to decide that you've got a limp. And you've got to actually look in and go, I've got some ashes and I'm, I really, God, I need beauty. I for real need beauty. And so I'm, um, I am touched the state of us as a community and the state of the church right now, I, I really feel like I'm t- I've touched something in intercession. And it is painful, beloved, the fracture that's in us as it relates to our hearts toward the Father. It is absolutely painful. And it's not, that's not a shame-laden statement. It's just this. We are broken in heart toward the Father and we don't perceive Him rightly, therefore we interact with Him in a, in a skewed way because we do not know Him and the way He thinks about us. And all of His intentions are good and they're loving and they're tender and they're kind and He's sweet toward us and we act like the dog that's been beaten and the owner just wants to cuddle it and just get it healed up. You ever, you ever had one of those animals that maybe you went to the pound and you got the animal and it just had been beaten and every time you went to pet it, it ducked? You ever seen that kind of, Man, I tell you, I feel like that's our state in so many ways. The Father longs to love us. And I feel it. And I think so much of us, so much of where we live is insulated in pain. We live insulated in pain painting on the smile because we don't want to deal with the reality of what this thing is that's got us fractured in our relationship with heaven and we pray and we don't feel God and we read and the verses don't seem to stick and they don't seem to mean anything and the word is hidden to us it's not open and and when we see the scripture on how tough and mean he is man that thing is alive but the one that says according to his good pleasure he predestined you that just doesn't make any sense 
and we're numb. I'm not trying to put it on us. I'm just trying to tell you the sense that I feel in place of intercession. And I know the Lord wants to touch us. I know He wants to heal our hearts. Ah. He wants to introduce us to the Father. That's what Jesus came to do. You've seen me, He said. You've seen the Father. If you've heard me speak, you've heard what the Father says. The works that I do, I saw the Father do all those, and that's why I've done them. He's always about introducing us to the Father. And that's what Jesus wants to do, is He wants to reveal to us, yes, His burning heart of passion for us as a bridegroom, but totally wants to reveal to us the, the delight and the smile and the acceptance and the care and the nurture and the kindness and the tenderness that the eternal Father has toward us. How can we be a people that believes we've got an inheritance if we believe that our Father is negative toward us, is stern, is cruel, bases what He gives us on our performance. He's aloof and angry. How could we live as if we had an inheritance if we thought our dad was distant and aggravated yet in our heart of hearts most of us believe that he's one or more of those things I just said and the scriptures are pretty clear that he's just, he's just not that way he's just not that way I want to um, talk particularly tonight about this thing called a performance mentality I, uh, I googled it Thought for sure I'd find some psychology out there about the performance mentality. Just, just I wanted to hear, see, what's anybody saying? Give me a little, you know, give me some Jack Frost performance mentality. It'll help. Nothing. Two pages worth of searches. Nothing. And there's all sorts of answers, but it got into, you know, you want a performance mentality because it can help you sell better. It'll help you excel in school, performance mentality. How to have a performance mentality. And I went, right, right. Because the kingdom of God is not built on a performance mentality, but the spirit of the age totally is. Oh, right. That makes total sense. The spirit of the age is all about having a performance mentality. If you work hard, you'll be rewarded. If you don't work hard, you will be a failure. If you work hard, people will love you. If you don't perform well, people will hate you. Of course, that's the spirit of the age. Yet the kingdom of God is this. It doesn't matter if you perform well or perform poorly. It doesn't matter if you're a 10 or a 1. You don't gain a thing in God's love by, by performing better or worse. You earn nothing through performing well. And that's the kingdom. And the performance mentality, it drives you to try to earn something from God and from men. The performance mentality tells you this. If you will perform at a high level, you will be successful. You will receive accolades and people will like you. In the kingdom, God goes, I give one you know, two, I give one, five talents. I give one, seven. I give, you know, ten to this one. I give one to that one. If he takes that talent and he measures it right, I'll even give him a leather talent. But it's really, it's not even about the uh, performances as much as it's about the heart that says yes. It's just the heart that says yes. You can be totally down the totem pole, have zero gift mix. I mean, you can be a, a, a one in, in giftings. And if you have a heart that's abandoned towards God... There is a smile on you because of the yes inside without regard to your performance. And here's the trap we fall into. We go, well, I've got a similar gift mix as that person over there. You know, we're both guitarists, or we're both, you know, salespeople, or we're both whatever. Yeah, but, you know, that person's got a gift level of an eight, and you got a gift level of a four. Who knows why? The Lord sovereignly figures it out. 
So you, perf- you perform with an abandoned thing in God with a yes, and you always get a level four, which is awesome in God because you're abandoned at heart. There's a yes. But you look over at that person that's a six or an eight, and you go, I am a failure because I cannot perform as well as they do. And then the world will tell you, you don't perform as well, you're not successful, therefore you are not valid. And God says that's totally not the point at all. And by judging ourselves by ourselves, we are not wise. And then we know, you know, then there's the day that we're a, a gift mix level five. We have a bad day. Sure, we're abandoned in heart. There's a big yes, but we, you know, all we do is produce three. We can't help it. It's just a bad day. If we identify ourselves by our performance, we will say to ourselves, we are a failure and unacceptable because we didn't perform well today. God goes, that was never the point. The point was always the yes inside. So whether you perform well or perform poorly, the issue is this, you have a yes in your heart towards God. And God sees that as radically valuable and beautiful. And here's the way we live. We live giving ourselves to the performance mentality, judging ourselves by others, judging ourselves by whether or not we're successful, judging ourselves by what we think we should do. And when we base our acceptance and our worth on how we perform, there is a, that is a no-win for us. Because in the day that we perform well, we'll believe that God loves us because we've performed well. And in the day that we've performed poorly, we'll believe that God loves us less because we performed uh, poorly. And the truth is this, that your performance has zero to do with the way that God loves you. Zero. Isn't that hard to grasp? See, it's not enough that we get it up here. Because you guys will say amen like you just did to that whole thought and then go out there and strive for God's acceptance tomorrow. There's got to be a transition in our heart. This thing has got to catch the DNA, the, the heart strings of who we are. We've got to begin to perceive that he is not looking at us, tapping, our, tapping his foot, wrapping his, uh, you know, the ruler in his hand, saying, perform better, perform better, and then I'll accept you. See, some of us have lived through what it means to be abandoned. You understand what it means to have a father figure leave you or leave the home. Some of us... We weren't officially ever abandoned. We were just ignored. Some of us, what I mean by that is you lived in the house, you had the father figure there, but you never were close. You're just ignored. Some of us had, you know, real, real uh, intense, performance-oriented relationships with father figures. If we did well, We were in the good graces of our dad. If we did poorly, we were sort of in the doghouse. I'm going to talk about this in a later week, but you know what I realize? That God has never corrected, never corrected his children, ever corrected his children with an angry spirit. You know how it's so difficult sometimes to picture that God, when he corrects, he's correcting because of love? You know why that's difficult? Because we've got almost no models of people that correct because of love. They usually get ticked off and go, look, you, here, now. Let me tell you something. Don't ever do that again. And they're all mad and inflamed. God never corrects that way. Never corrects his children that way. The Bible says he sows it in peace when he sows correction. And our image of God when he's correcting us is sometimes so strong and so, it's just so different than his heart toward us. He is correcting in peace. We live challenged in heart, beloved, because I don't know that we know him the way he is. I, I think that we perceive him in a way that's far different, and I don't think it, I'm sure of it. 
Because if we understood the way he thinks and the way he feels and the way he looks at us and the kindness that's on his face and the, and the delight that's in his heart for us, I tell you, you would never scurry away from him. You would always run, sprint toward him. He's that good. You know the person in your life that you just love to be around? You know, whenever something goes wrong and you just go, man, let me just call so-and-so because, man, when I'm around them, they make me just feel better. I'm telling you, the Father is that times a billion. He is the one who is always, always ready to be there to bring comfort and peace and love and acceptance to our heart. He would be the one we would run to if we fully get who He is and how He is. Let's look at Ephesians 1. These verses are just... Oh, they're so good. I'm going to ask the Lord to deliver us from working to gain approval from God and men. Working to gain approval from God and men. See, the issue, the issue isn't even this. If you work hard, then you're trying to get approval, and if you don't work hard, then you're just accepting the Father's love. No, there's, there's fully people that don't work hard that are fully not trying to accept the Father's love. <laughs> but the thing is, when I fall in love, I will, I mean, I would just, without even considering it, fully give myself in an abandoned way far more dramatic than any worker could ever dream of. Because my heart is in love. I, I would just fully give myself. All right, Ephesians 1. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. In verse 4 it says, Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him. In the NIV and the NAS, it puts a period there, and then it says, In love, having predestined us. And I really think that's the, the right way to read it. In love, having predestined us. Let's go ahead and let's just begin to look through these uh, these verses, they're so packed. I just want to uncork a little bit of them and just ask the Lord to come and breathe on it and to bring healing to our heart and, and that we would have courage to give Him ashes. That he would give beauty and, and He would deliver us from our, our minds uh, testifying to us you know, of, of, of being abandoned and, and, and suffering and these different challenges of being continually ignored and, and uh not seeing him as one who wants to give affection. I want to ask God to break in and help tonight. The, uh, the operative words in these verses, they're so interesting. They, they read this way. These verses describe us as blessed, chosen, predestined, adopted, accepted, and beloved. Blessed, chosen, predestined, adopted, accepted, and beloved. See, when our hearts are filled with that, when we realize we are accepted, chosen, blessed, adopted, and beloved by God, the performance mentality will begin to lift. It will begin to drain out of us. All right, let's look at this. Chose us in Him before the foundation of the world or before time began. I want to say this to us. You and I, we were the dream of God before time began. Before eternity passed, we were the dream in the heart of the Father. He didn't, he didn't think, I want to make a very, very cool galaxy with all, all these cool stars. And I want to make, you know, a bunch of solar systems. And I, and I want to put planets and and you know, real hot stars, and, and then I'll put 
you know, this one that's got water and air, and then, you know, I'll put people on it. No, before he formed the earth, before time began, before the foundations of creation were laid, he chose us before that. What does that mean? That means this. He started with you in mind. God started dreaming. From eternity past, He started dreaming. You were chosen in Him. And He is the pinnacle of creativity. He's the, he, is, he is the highest crest of creativity. And He started looking around for something to give Him some creative inspiration. And he realized that outside of himself, there was nothing that could inspire him. So he looks within himself. And to the majesty of himself. And he begins to consider himself. And he looks at all his attributes. And all of his amazing array of beauty and majesty. And as he's considering the different facets of his being, something in himself reminds him of you. He chose us in Him. He looked in Himself because He couldn't get creative inspiration from anywhere else. He looked within Himself and one of His facets of His attributes reminded Him of something about you. And He made you in that instant. Before He made any planets, before He made any stars, any, any you know, galaxies, before He made any of that, He chose you fully inspired by the glory of who he is he dreamed of you he thought of you from eternity past can you imagine what was brimming in the vast emotions of the father as he's waited from eternity past for you to be born, he waits and he waits and he waits and then human creation and then hundreds of years, thousands of years come and then we're a hundred years out and then we're 50 and then we're 20 and we're 10 and we're a year out and he knows it because he's been thinking about you how long since eternity past and all of a sudden 12 months, 8 months, 6 months, 3 months, 2 months, 1 month, 2 weeks out and he's thinking about you and what's going on in his heart it's brimming with emotion why because you are about to be conceived and heaven is spinning and rejoicing you know why because he's been waiting on you since eternity passed you've the very (laughs) created in the image and likeness of God He looked inside himself and he found you. Why are we so different? Why, how could he array all the DNA so uniquely that every one of us is different? Because he's that big. He's that amazing. And he chose you that long ago. He's been waiting on you this long. And I tell you, the week before your conception, heaven was on high alert. And the day you were conceived, the rejoicing that went on, I mean God's emotion that exploded because you were now going to be in the earth. God is erupting with delight. And the day you were born, oh, what were they doing when the Father said, Finally! over you that's called being chosen in him for the foundation of the earth he didn't start with the speed of light and planets and suns and stars he started with you in mind he started with you in mind never it's never been a human accident there's never been one. It's been you in his mind all along. The Father chose us in him that we should be holy. 
Somebody said, oh, I knew it. I knew it. He wanted to create me so he could put a bunch of laws and rules on me. He wanted to make me holy, put a bunch of legalism on me. No, we don't understand what holy is. He didn't choose you and create you so that you would be now living under legislation that's hard to live out and, and handcuffed to you know this taskmaster. He said, no, I want you to be arrayed with that which is holy. See, what's holy? God's holy. You know what holiness is? It's burning beauty. It is the essence of what is beautiful. The more holy a thing is, the more pure it is, the more beautiful it is. When God thought of you, he didn't think of you as being some little destitute, you know, just just in rags your whole life, you know, just ugly. No, he chose you and thought, I'm going to beautify him. I'm going to beautify her. I'm going to take of that which inspires me, and I'm going to create her and create him, and then I'm going to beautify her, beautify him with that which is holy. I'll take of the stuff of myself and put it upon them. Can you imagine? We are dirt. We are dirt with God's spirit blown in. He goes, I will put my divine holiness on them. I want them beautiful. I want them arrayed. I want them princely. I want them princessly. I want them glorious. I want every angel and every demon. I want every host to know that I have children and they are arrayed with what makes me burning and beautiful. I will make them holy. That's why sin and perversion is just, it's such a lie. It promises pleasure, and yet it fully detracts from that which is precious and perfect. Holiness. That we should be holy. See, he wanted, holy means separate. He didn't want to have you in there drowning with everything that separates you from him. He wanted you separated from all that. So he created you, and in mind he had this, that you would be wholly separate from everything that separates you from him. Not living where you're under legalism, but living where you are alive and all that invigorates the heart. Just like what Monica was talking about, all that fascinates. He wants you swimming in the ocean of God's love. That which fascinates you, separated unto God. That we should be holy. This is good deal. We got a good deal. This whole God created man thing, that works. That really works. That we should be holy. Oh, and then he says, without blame, right? Without blame. Another way to say that is without shame. Imagine this. Imagine the eternal father breaks in right now with a throne room encounter and all of us go in. And all of a sudden, we are peering on the uncreated one. All of us have a John 4 all at once. Behold, a throne set in heaven. And one who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone. From his being comes thunders and lightnings and voices. And there's a river, a fiery river coming from before his throne. And there's an emerald rainbow surrounding the throne. And we are in and we are peering on the one who is eternity. And imagine this, that he pulls the veil back a little further. And God, the eternal father, lets us see his face. He takes us past where he took Moses and now we are looking into the face of the one who is eternity. 
And then we get to see the eyes. The son's eyes are fire, the Bible tells us. I believe the father's eyes are eternity. When you look in there, you look into the mysteries of the ages. And somehow we're making eye contact with the divine. And in an instant, you know this for sure. You know that he knows everything. He knows every thought, every intent, everything that's on your mind. He knows everything that good intention where you really were sincerely trying and it didn't work out. He knows. He knows. He knows. And then in an instant you realize he doesn't just know all the good. He knows all the bad. I mean, you're, you're known thoroughly. And he doesn't just know the present. He knows everything every thought, deed, and action of your entire life, it all comes clear to him in an instant. And you're staring into eyes that are beckoning to you of eternity, declaring to you and testifying to you of the uncreated God and the majesty and the mystery of who he is. You're looking into eternity and those eyes are looking into you. And for a moment, the power of it overwhelms us and then in an instant, we recognize if I am known like this, He must be offended with my weakness. And shame would would begin to close around us. But he says, I didn't create you to be before me in shame. I created you to be be before me without blame. Can you imagine standing before those eyes? They're peering through you. And you're standing there without any hint of shame. No negativity in your heart whatsoever. No sense at all of any wickedness in your life at all. The eternal Father and all the majesty that He is, He's looking right through you and you are standing there with a sense of acceptance without shame. That you'd be before Him blameless. That's what he created you for. He created you for intimacy without shame. He created you for interaction without veils. He created you for a completely unhindered encounter with him without your heart testifying to you that you're unworthy. That's who he is. And that's what he made us for. He made us for his enjoyment. He made us to interact with him without anything. Telling us and demanding us that we need to do something to measure up. Or that we are unworthy. Then he goes, blameless. That we would be blameless. He wants to experience us at this level. Without us having the faintest hint of shame in our hearts. Beloved, that's what the blood of Jesus was all about. That's what the blood of Jesus was all about. The one who knew no sin, he became sin that we would become righteous. That we could stand before one who is holy, blameless. He says... Before him. He goes, I want them blameless. Without blame. Before him. See, God has always desired intimate relationship with you. He's never wanted you to be abandoned. He's never wanted you to be away. He's never wanted you to feel like he was aloof. Or like you had to measure up or try hard to get in his presence in fact the whole picture that the father always had from eternity past of you was that you would be before him see the jewish idiom if we were to say before him and and say the, the way the jews would say it we would say at the face see the father wants his children at the face see when my boys were born i never dreamed i would do this but i'm not going to tell the delivery room story i'm going to tell the other story now I would sit there and I would uh, I would pick them up and I would just put them against my face this far right here and I just I mean I would sometimes I'd kiss them but most of the time I'd just hold them right there 
I wanted to feel their breath and smell their smell and hear their noises and just drink them in. I just, I just, and I would sit there and I would stare at them. I mean, for an hour. Just stare at them. What are you doing? Just staring at my son. He's awesome. Little infant, couldn't do anything. And I am absolutely fixed on him. All of them, same thing. It's inbred. Why? Because the eternal father always wanted you at his face. Always. There's not this thing where if you'll live real good and holy, then God will give you entrance. If you'll really, really read your Bible and pray hard, then you might get in. He goes, no, it was always in my mind that you'd be right here. I always wanted you right here. To say it another way, he wants to hang out with you for real. He's the dad that's always calling you up, asking you what you're doing. Do you have any plans? I'd like to be with you. I want to hang out. I want to be in your presence. And the Lord seals it up this way. He goes, here's what I'm going to do. I want to be with them so bad, I'm going to put my spirit inside of them, and my son and I will come and make our home in them. That way, I'll never be without them. I'll always be with them. He wants us before him, beloved. I remember days and days feeling like the Father didn't want, we, want me with Him. I can remember, you know, leaving uh, church and thinking, man, I just worshiped and prayed for a couple hours and it just feels like God doesn't want me. And the exact opposite is true. He wants me and He wants you. And that which testifies to our heart of any other reality, I tell you, it is a lie. He wants you before him. He wants to be with you. He's trying to spend time with you. He's always thinking about you. His thoughts of you are greater than the number of the, uh, sand, cranes of sand, greater than the number of stars in the sky. He's inscribed your name on his palm, and this is the way it goes. He's going, I'm thinking about him. I'm thinking about him. He's looking at Jen, and he's going, it's Jen. It's Jen. I'm thinking about Jen. Jen. Oh, Jen. I love Jen. My daughter. Oh, Jen. I love Jen. And the angels come in and go, we've got a serious issue over here. We've got a battle. We've got the, the, the hordes of hell are breaking in. They're breaking in over the Middle East. We need to da 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 And God goes, okay, let's do that. All right, we're going to take care of that. We're going to send a legion of angels break in. We're going to break up the revival in the Middle East. We're going to save millions of Muslims. I hear the prayers. That we're going to re- re- answer those prayers. We're going to breaking over there awesome revivals coming to the middle east and god goes no what was i doing huh and he looks down at his hand because he's inscribed our name on his hand he goes jen that's right jen 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 and it's not just her but it's you and i he's thinking about us why because he wants to be with us he's not aloof from us that listen to me that thing that testifies to you that God doesn't want to be with you, it is a lie. The answer for the one that has been abandoned, the one that's been ignored, the answer for you, if you've lived your whole life being ignored, trying to perform so you can just get somebody's attention so somebody could affirm you, let me tell you, the answer for you is this. It's not to work harder. It's not to perform better. The answer for you is this. The Father created you to be before him he really did it was always in his mind that's what's in his heart right now he wants you before him the very thing that's in Jesus' heart. Father, I desire that they would be with me where I am. That is the testimony of the Father's heart for you. You have got an eternal Father. That's all He's saying right now. He's going, I want you with me. I want you with me. I want you with me. I want you before me. I want you at my face. I want to be with you. That's the way He feels about you. So many struggle trying to be accepted, working to try to get God's attention. Watch how spiritual I'll be, God. I'll prove to you I'm worthy to be accepted. He goes, no. Without regard to your performance, I want you before me. I long for you to be before me. In love, he predestined us. Here's how it works. 
He put these pre-programmed tracks within you. He put a pre-program within your heart that as soon as you would say yes, you would begin to be catapulted into the destiny of God. As soon as you would say yes to the will of God, the pre-programming, the predestination that he wired you with in creation, it would catapult you right into the middle of his desire and his will for you. And when you got catapulted into his destiny for your life, that pre-programmed plan did this it threw you right into a collision course with love he didn't predestine you to control you doesn't have an evil thought about you he predestined you in love it was always about that it was always about that He never took his hands off the steering wheel. No matter what tragedy hits your life, I tell you, he was always governing in a sovereign way. He wasn't authoring the attack of the enemy. He was governing in a sovereign way, and he was going right into every attack, and he was bringing victory out of every dart the enemy was trying to perform. How is it that you're right here right now hearing that he brought you to this place? Because he knows what he's doing. He predestined you in love. He's causing it all to play back. He put the wiring in place. He's causing it all to play back now. He's drawing you into a collision course with intimacy, with adoption. He's drawing you in. And it's predestined to be adoption, predestined to be adopted. See, God never made us to be orphans. He never made us to be alone. He never made us to be by ourselves. He always, the Father always wanted you. He chose you and He predestined you to adoption. The power of adoption is this. Whereas my children are born to me naturally, I don't really have a choice in gender. I don't have a choice in hair color. I don't have a choice in size, personality type. I don't have a choice in any of it. The father, because of the choice, the power of choice in adoption, he chooses you exactly the way he wants you unto being adopted to being his own and with the father it's completely different so in our mentalities we think oh that one that's adopted they're sort of a second class citizen in the family because they're not true they're not blood they're not exactly the same but with the father he does this he says I'll predestine you to adoption and I'll put my spirit in you and my spirit will call out to me Abba from within you see we don't understand the power of what that is Abba The Greek word Abba, there's two Greek words for father. Pater, it's translated father. Abba is Abba. Pater, father, that's the the word that even the the, uh, servants in the house would call the head of the house. Even the slaves would call the homeowner, the the estate owner, they would call him father. They call him Pater. But Abba, only the ones that were blood could call the head of the house Abba. It was the personal name. It was the intimate name. It was the pet name that he wanted the children to call him. It was the daddy name. So when he says, I've adopted you as my own children, he goes, and I'm putting my spirit in you, and it will say to me from you, Abba, He goes, I'm leaving no doubt. You're not a servant anymore. You're not a second class adopted child. You are my very own. He says, He goes, Call me Abba. Call me Daddy. See, we've got all these walls and these shields thinking somehow God wants us at a distance. God never wanted us at a distance. He wants us right here. He wants us as close as possible. He wants us in His presence. He wants us calling Him Daddy. Abba. You're not knocking on his door too much. We think, oh, I'm bothering him. No. He's not like you and I. He doesn't get bothered when we get asked too many times. He just wants to see your face. 
He just wants to hang out. He just wants you to know Him closely. Know that He chose you. He wants to be close to you. Coming to an end. Why did He do all this? Because of the good pleasure of His will. That's what it says. Because of the good pleasure of his will. What is that? That means this. That God considered everything that would bring him pleasure. He considered the vast array of all that's available to God. He's the God that can have and do anything. He goes, I will create them, predestine them to adoption because it is the thing that will bring the most pleasure to my heart. See, how crazy is this? You make him real happy. You bring pleasure to the face of heaven. You bring pleasure to God according to his good pleasure. According to his good pleasure. The thing that would make him the most pleased, the most satisfied, the thing that would bring the most pleasure to him is what? It's you. (laughs) And simultaneously, because he is love and love gives, he goes, I will figure out the thing that will bring the most pleasure to them. The thing that will bring the most pleasure to them, he considers the vast array of all the possible answers the thing that will bring the most pleasure to us is him. And all in one move, according to the good pleasure of his will, he predestines us to an intimate relationship within him, with him, and it will, it will release pleasure in him and delight in us at the highest possible measures. How crazy is it for us to consider this, that the Father receives pleasure from our little, hey, Dad, can you help? He goes, oh, I love how that feels. Say it again. We go, little help? He goes, oh. Say it again. We go, Mufasa. He goes, oh. It's just like that. He goes, oh. Look this way and say my name. Look this way and say my name. bringing pleasure to the Father when you come near. He likes you. No, he really likes you. He likes you a lot. He really likes you a lot. You can't work your way into being liked by God. It's just how it is with him. He likes people. He loves you. So it lands this way. Accepted in the beloved. He made us accepted in the beloved. What was the work of the cross all about? It was this. I will trade my son, my only begotten. I will trade him for you. I will make you accepted. No, God, I'll prove to you I can be acceptable. I will work my brains out and show you how righteous I can be. He goes, no, you don't get it. I am going to crush my own son. I am going to slay him. I'm going to cause his blood to run on the earth. I will put him in flesh. I will bring him into the earth as a baby. I will grow him up to 33 years and I will execute him as the sacrifice so I can have you in adoption. He goes, I will make you accepted. I will make you mine. I will make you my own. I'll make you accepted in the beloved. I will put you in this group called loved of God. I'll put you in this group called Delighted in by the the Father. I'll put you in this group called Heaven's Family. I bow my knee to the Father from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. He might grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might by your Spirit in the inner man, 
that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith, that you would be rooted and grounded in love, accepted in the beloved. He goes, I will destroy my own boy to have you as my boy. I will destroy my own son to have you as my daughter. He goes, I will make you accepted. And here's how we play it. We go, I know me and I know I am not worthy. I know my shortcomings and I know that I have to work to gain approval. I have to perform for you to like me. So I'm going to go and I'm going to do a lot of good things, God. And I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray an hour a day in tongues. And then I'm going to fast. And I'll fast. And after I fast two days a week, yeah, you'll, I know then you'll love me. Because stop. You're accepted. No, you don't know how bad I am. I've got issues. I've got problems. I've got rejection. He goes, stop. You're in. No, you don't understand. My heart's wicked. Sometimes my eyes, they wander. He goes, stop. You're in. But God, you don't get it. He goes, I get it. You're in. He goes, no. You go, no. It can't be this easy. He goes, it is this easy. You are in. Stop working for it. I've already made it. I've already done it. I crushed my son. Don't try to make it happen yourself. You can't. You are in. When there's a yes in your heart, the work that Jesus did on the cross, you can't offer any bargaining chips to heaven to prove that you're acceptable. We come with our hands full of offerings and God goes, no, I don't want them. I want you. God, I'll prove it. I don't want you to prove it. I've proved it. I want you. We go, God, I'll show you. I'm beautiful. He goes, please, I don't want your so-called beauty. Give me your ashes. I'll make you beautiful. Guys, the Father loves us. He absolutely is delighted in us. He wants us with Him all the time. He thinks so fondly about us. There's such pleasure in His heart over you. His eyes are always on you. His mind is continually considering you. He knows you better than anybody and he's still radically in love with you. You are made in his very image according to his likeness. Something inside of him gave him creativity to form you and he made you accept it by crushing his son. What do you have to prove? What do you have to prove? All you have to do in this life is be loved. Be loved. You got nothing to prove. Your performance, trying to gain God's approval, I promise you it's not working. All of our righteous works, they're as filthy rags. We live challenged to believe how much He likes us. And I tell you, He wants to deliver our hearts. He wants to speak tenderly to us. He, he, he wants to let us know the pleasure that's in Him for us. He wants to continually express to us the way He feels. He is not withholding from you. He's not trying to keep you away. You are not a bother to Him. You are one that He wants right there. This is our Father. I pray that God will break in on us with revelation performance mentalities would leave worship team just come on that they would leave that we would understand the great delight the desire that he has I want to tell you something my whole life changed when I realized he liked me 
It just changed. I was the hardest working guy I knew. People called that on fire in the ministry. We did an audit of the number of hours that those that, that were on my staff, myself and my staff, were doing. An audit. We did an audit to see how many hours a week we were working. Every one of us was working over 60 hours a week. I was hitting 70, 70 plus hours a week. Toiling for validity. Trying to prove myself acceptable. And I realized none of it was earning a thing with God. Sure, he liked me then. He wasn't mad at me for working hard. But he was saying to me, Billy, it's, it's not necessary. I like you. I like you so much. You know what? When I found out that he liked me, all of a sudden... You know, I don't even know if I do any less or more. I don't care. I fell in love and found out that he likes me. And my heart is free to have a relationship with my father and just do anything. Just be abandoned to him in any way. Just to, just to love him and, and, and go after God. And I'm free because he likes me. And it just, it's just alive. And the reason why we crest and valley and crest and valley is because we get on that performance roller coaster. And I tell you, when we do it that way, we will live in cycles of burnout, always needing refreshing. We'll be on fire at one point and absolutely burnt the next because the, the might of the love of God is not carrying us. He likes you. He really, really likes you. Let's just stand. <sighs> chosen in Him. Chosen in Him. Father, we need to know the way you feel.